Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Pastor Tanner. Uh, those of you guys that don't know me, uh, my wife and I are Courtney. Uh, we are the pastors of and the missionaries to the Shatter State College through Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. We've made this our church home a few months back, and so some of you guys know us through that. Some of you guys know us because we've guest spoke here as missionaries a few times over the past six years. And so uh, when Steve asked me to speak, um, it was a, kind of an awesome opportunity because now I get to speak to you guys um, in a different capacity than I normally have in the past. And so you get to hear me speak um, in a little different, a little different way, a little different cap, uh, um, category. And so one of the fav- my favorite things about being a missionary, being um, involved in Chi Alpha, is that Pastor Steve is your guys' church pastor. And so when he speaks to you guys, he speaks to you as a pastor. And I get to speak to my Chi Alpha students as a pastor. But then I get the opportunity during the summer and opportunities like this to come and speak to you guys and speak to different churches all across the state in more of a a missionary slash evangelist capacity. And I prefer to be, if if I was being completely honest, I prefer to speak um, in an evangelist capacity over a pastoral capacity because what that means is I get to say what I want and then Steve has to come back in and pick up all the pieces and clean up the mess after I leave. And even better... Steve isn't here, and so I don't have to see his face when I start preaching heresy. I just can't picture Steve listening to this, squirming around in his seat a little bit, getting a little uncomfortable. Speaking of squirming in your seats, one of my biggest goals, my favorite things I like to do as a preacher and in the evangelist role is to get you a little uncomfortable because... We as Christians thrive in the uncomfortable. In fact, there's not much more unfortunate than a church that's comfortable. There's not much sadder than a comfortable church. And even worse when a comfortable church doesn't realize how dangerous it is to be comfortable. And so my goal coming in here is to make you guys uncomfortable. You guys like that transition, squirming in your seat? Uncomfortable? Man, that's smooth. In Matthew 28, I am also not used to a lapel mic, so I am sorry that I'm breathing in it. Um, In Matthew 28, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A lot of people view this verse as the greatest or one of the greatest promises in Scripture. And I have a little bit of a problem with that, because this isn't promise. I'm going to repeat that again. This is not a promise. And I can tell by the looks on your guys' faces that you're already beginning to get a little uncomfortable with what I'm saying. Good. I watched Star Wars before I wrote this, and so I wrote in here, good, let the uncomfortableness flow through you. I realize, a little cheesy. But before you discount me, hear me out. We'll read it again. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is not a promise. This is a statement of a fact. They're different. This is not merely a promise. This is a statement of a fact by Jesus Christ. And this is one of his parting statements to the disciples. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Not only is this a statement of a fact, but I also have to throw in there and remind us that there is no condition attached. There is no, as long as you are believing in me. There is no, as long as you read your Bible today. No, as long as you prayed this week. There is no condition attached. He says, I am with you always. Period. Let's take a minute and let's let that sink in. Close your eyes. Let that, let that really sink into your spirit. Jesus Christ is with you. Jesus Christ is with us here in this room. Jesus Christ is with us this morning. And Jesus Christ was with you when you were getting ready. And Jesus Christ is, Christ is going to be with you when you leave. You guys can open your eyes. Oftentimes I've found myself praying wrong, praying incorrectly. And now I know and I understand the heart behind my prayer in praying and asking Jesus' presence into my life and asking his presence here this morning and Jesus, would you be with us? And I recognize the heart behind it, but I also don't want to pray incorrectly. And if I, if I take this into account, I remember that Jesus is with us. It changes the way I pray and the way I think about Jesus' presence in my life. So instead of saying, Jesus, would you be in this room? I say, Jesus, can you help me to feel your presence? Help me to remember that you are here. Because why would he need to come into my presence if he never left? If he is always with me. And so I don't need to pray like that. We don't need to pray like that. Jesus is with us. Now, I might not always feel him, but how many of you guys know that as human beings, our feelings, human feelings, my feelings, often lie? But we live in a day and age where our feelings have become our gods. Our feelings rule our lives. They rule our responses to people. They rule how we feel about our day. They rule how we interact with people. Sometimes the fear of feelings become our gods. And so looking back throughout my life, and if I'm being honest, through the last 24 hours, my feelings have lied to me. Numerous times. But the good thing about Jesus is that he never lies. And he never fails. It is against his nature to lie. It is against his nature to fail. And so I'm driving this point home, but right here, right now, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with you right now in this place. I feel it's important to get to the next point of my sermon that we really let this sink in. This is important. But perhaps you woke up today. Maybe it wasn't just today. Maybe it's been this week. Maybe it's been this month. Maybe it's been this year. Maybe it's been the last 14 years. But you're sitting here saying, but the problem is I don't feel Jesus' presence right now. I haven't felt Jesus' presence in a while. I've been there. 
perhaps more often than you would think would be fitting for a pastor. I've been in that place. I've been in that season. I've been in that walk. But the way in which I deal with that feeling is I make the decision to appropriate his presence, and I thank him for being with me, and I choose to change my mindset and know that he is with me. Because Jesus is with you. Our God, our Savior, our Lord, he is with us. And so, Lord, thank you for being with us. Help us today to feel your presence. Help us to know you are here. And so it's up to us to stand in that firm foundation of knowing Jesus' presence is with us. To live our lives without uncertainty of whether or not Jesus is with us. Because that uncertainty is dangerous. And that uncertainty is wrong. And so I don't know about you, but I don't want to go and I don't want to walk out my life uncertain about whether Jesus is with me, whether God is with me. Because there are very few certainties in this life, and I want to make sure that I remember this one. Because I don't want to waste another second of my life being uncertain of whether Jesus is with me. And so the problem is we may not have the permanent feeling that he is with us. But as humans, it is our nature, we are designed to desire that feeling, to desire that feeling of his presence. We are beings who are oftentimes ruled by our feelings. And so we desire that feeling to know that he is with us. But the feeling of Jesus' presence in our life has to be partnered hand in hand with a trust and a faith that knows that he is with us. One without the other is dangerous. And that right there, the partnering with the trust and faith of knowing that Jesus is with us, that has the power to change. That has the power to change our mindset on life. That has the power to change how we look about, how we even get ready for the day, how we get ready for church, how we leave church, how we spend our day. That trust and that faith that Jesus is with us has the power to change us, let alone Jesus' presence. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We just sang it this morning. Emmanuel means what? God with us. It is his nature. Side note, I love it when worship songs line up perfectly with the sermon. And so when you guys started singing that, I nudged Courtney. I was like, fuck it. Walt and Carrie had no clue what I was preaching on. God with us. God is with us. Jesus is with us. One thing that is so easy to say, standing up here, trying to get a point across, it's easy for me to say this. But it is a lot harder to make it a knowledge, like make it known, make it something that is just a core foundation in us. That's the difficult part. And the reason it's difficult is because, as I've reiterated, and again, I'm pounding this home as hard as I can, 
It's hard to know because it's hard to feel sometimes. And time and time again, humans act on our feelings more than we act on our knowledge. And I'm saying what we have to do is we have to bypass our feelings and go straight into knowing that Jesus is with us. And so why is this important? Why is this so important that I continue to just pound it home? Because inevitably, at some point in your walk with God, you're going to go through a dry season. You're going to go through a season in which it feels like God is distant. I like to call this a wilderness season. Very appropriately so. At some point, if you're not in one right now, you've been one in the past. And if you haven't been in one in the past, you're going to go through one in the future. It is a part of our walk with Christ. What do I call the wilderness season? So what do I mean? The wilderness season is a season in which it seems like everything seems to be going wrong, and it feels like Jesus is so far away. It feels like God isn't listening. It feels like God isn't there. It's the embodiment of the footprints poem. There are two sets of footprints, and then in my hardest season there was one. And what do I mean by this wilderness season? So in order to... to Define this, let's look at 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, which says, In all this you are, sorry, excuse me, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What does that mean? That means at some point you will come into a season where you are being put through the refining process as a Christian. The refining process is inevitable. It is beneficial. It is a positive process. It is a process that we as Christians, even though we don't want to walk through it, should look forward to. Because this is a process and a season in which we grow the most. Because I can look back at my life and I can look back at the wilderness seasons and I can tell you that the hardest times of my life have been the points in my life and my walk with Christ in which I have grown the most. Oftentimes I look back at a wilderness season and even though when I'm going through it I don't understand and I get frustrated and I get angry and I get mad at God and I, and I can't understand why he's not with me, I will look back at that season and I will recognize that that season was pivotal to my growth as a Christian. And I can begin to see what God was doing through that. Jesus himself even went into the wilderness. He went through a wilderness season although his was a literal wilderness season in which he fasted and went into the wilderness, he was allowed to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights, a month and a half. If you read Matthew 4, the very first line, before it talks about Jesus going into the wilderness, it says, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Our wilderness seasons are guided by the Holy Spirit, even though we can't feel His presence. 
And even though the times from the Old Testament to the New Testament have changed quite a bit, that refining process still looks very much the same. The Holy Spirit leads us into wilderness seasons. The wilderness season can be days, it can be months, it can be years. But what it is, is it's a refining process so that we can grow and we can weed out sin in our lives. Now, sometimes I do not have to put a footnote here. Sometimes we do find ourselves in a wilderness season because of a habitual sin. And if you have a habitual sin in your life, deal with it. But if you find yourself in a wilderness without a habitual sin, chances are the Holy Spirit is gearing you and preparing you for the next step in your spiritual life. Because typically a spiritual promotion comes after a wilderness season. And God puts us through this process because he is more concerned with us finishing well than starting well. What does that mean? He's more concerned with how we finish the walk than keeping us comfortable through the walk. Because if we don't go through this process, oftentimes the promotion, we won't have the character to handle the promotion. And we will be eaten alive by the responsibilities that come with that promotion. So perhaps you were not believing me. Perhaps your theology or someone has taught you that these aren't appropriate, that wilderness seasons are for a different reason. So if you don't believe me, we're going to go into the scripture and we're going to talk about it. And one of the things I always challenge my students with is I challenge you to look it up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible. Know the Bible. Don't just believe a preacher because if a preacher can guide you wrongly. I could be guiding you wrongly. It is your job as believers in Jesus to know the scripture and read the scripture for yourself so that you can interpret when a preacher is preaching incorrectly or correctly. So we're going to go into the Scripture. I'm going to let the Scripture do the talking. In Genesis 37, we read about Joseph. Joseph's brothers hated him because of his dreams and because of the way that he talked to them. A lot of times we focus on the way that Jesus was hated, or uh, Jesus, Joseph was hated because of the dreams he had. But we neglect the second half of that sentence in which he's specifically, it, it mentions that, the, that his brothers hated him because of the way that he talked to them. It can also be translated the, um, the way that he talked down to them. Joseph was hated by his brothers because of the way that he talked down to them. Is that a man who you want to be second in charge of the, the world at that time? How many of you guys have been mad at a sibling? How many of you have been so mad that you attempted to kill your sibling? Please don't answer that. That takes a next layer, a next level of hate. Joseph's character was so flawed that his siblings, instead of celebrating him, wanted to kill him. And it wasn't just because of the dream. But nonetheless, it was nearly 14 years between his dreams and the time he left prison to become second in command of Egypt. 
that is a wilderness season. Fourteen years from the time that he received the dream to when he began the process of becoming the second in command of Egypt. So let's take David. Let's move to David. When David was a teenager, he was anointed as the next king of Israel. It was then that he faced Goliath, was banished by Saul, hid in the desert, lived on the run, forced out of the nation, fought a ton of battles. It was nearly 15 years between the time that he was anointed king and actually became king. 15 years between the time of the anointment and him actually becoming king. And the thing that I love about God is that he's a God who gives us good gifts. The best gifts. And I think deep down, all of us would agree, at some level, we would prefer that God give us what we need now to grow and to become better people, to become better Christians, to become more Christ-like, than to give us what we ask for to satisfy the right here and now and leave us stuck where we are as people. I know I would. I would much rather go through a wilderness season so that I could become more like Christ than for him to give me all of my debt paid off in some random $50,000 donation or something. I know that's a really petty way to explain it, but you get what I'm talking about. I always kind of picture it like this, that God is a, a, a father, and we're toddlers trying to learn how to walk. And you start off, the father is holding the hands of the toddler and, like, literally walking them. But then eventually it gets to a point where the father has to let go of the hands and allow the toddler to stumble. Allow the the toddler to learn how to walk on their own. But if you don't allow the toddler to stumble and fall, they will always get stuck at that phase in their life. And so Job 23, 8-10 says, and now we know Job. We know what Job went through. When we think about wilderness seasons, I mean, Job is the the shining example of a wilderness season. It wasn't just that the enemy came and attacked. It wasn't just that the enemy came and, and destroyed. We read here in Job 23, it says, 23, verse 8 says, Behold, I go forward and he is not there. And backward and I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. When he turns on the right, I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job's wilderness season wasn't just the enemy coming and attacking him. It was also Job not being able to feel the presence of God in his life. Just because you can't see him, just because you can't feel him, just because you can't hear him, doesn't mean that he isn't there. Because I love the way that Job goes out on this, but he says, but he knows the way I take. Jesus knows where you're at. He knows what you're struggling with. He is listening to you. He is guiding you. He's growing you. 
He didn't just put you on a shelf and abandon you and leave you behind. He is with you. And again, that is a statement. That is a fact. God is working with you and he is working on you even when you don't perceive it. Oftentimes, especially when you don't perceive it. So my charge to you, even if you're not going through a wilderness season, and this isn't relevant to you right now, this is still so important because it's inevitable. We will go through wilderness seasons. And so my charge to you is to not grow weary through the wilderness. When gold goes through a refining process, you start off with a gold that has a lot of impurities. Gold, when it has a lot of impurities, is hard. But once you have purified it down and you've put it through the heat, and you have pure gold in your hand, it becomes soft. And Job said, when he tries me, I shall come forth as gold. Through the wilderness, God is softening your heart. Softening your pride. Sometimes softening your will. I know oftentimes it's not even my pride that gets in the way, it's my will. I'm trying to do what I want to do for my life, and I'm neglecting what God would have me do. Because I have this picture of how I want my life to go. And oftentimes that's not what I really want if I'm being honest with myself. And this next part is extremely important. And so I'm going to ask you to sit up a little bit, wake yourself up, stop thinking about tacos for just a second. I know, that's really hard to do. Stop talking about tacos. But please, listen. Can I get a couple people to come up and begin handing out communion to each other, to us? It is extremely important during the wilderness seasons, during those seasons in which it's hard to hear God and it's hard to feel His presence, It is extremely imperative, and I need you to hear my words, it is extremely imperative that you do not get antsy and begin to blame your spouse, blame your kids, blame your mom and dad, blame your siblings, blame somebody else. Instead, when you're going through the wilderness, you need to constantly seek God in His righteousness. You need to rejoice in the fact that you know Jesus is with you even though you don't feel it. Continue to rejoice in the knowledge. Forego your feelings and rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus is with you. That you have a God that has made a statement, that has made a commitment to be with you always. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that the Holy Spirit is molding you. Rejoice that God is helping guide you, helping grow you, helping to mature your faith. 
regardless of what your feelings are telling you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, is Philippians 4. Philippians 4.4 4 says, and I, and I repeat this a lot in my sermons because there is so much to unpack in this single verse. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Why is this so powerful? Well, for starters, Paul wrote this from prison. Paul, sitting in prison, is saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near from prison. Better yet, take a step back and did you know that he was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel? Paul is imprisoned for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Making the ultimate sacrifices in his life to share about Jesus Christ. I know I haven't faced that persecution. I know I haven't faced a wilderness season even remotely close to that level. How easy would it be for Paul to cry out, Lord, why, why would you allow me to be in prison? Why would you allow me to be tortured? Why would you allow me to go through this? All I was doing was sharing about you. It would be so easy for us as humans to take on that mindset. Because it would feel like if you're sharing the gospel and you're thrown into prison, it would feel like Jesus abandoned you. It would feel like God had forsaken you. But instead, Paul chooses to write, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Because Paul had the mindset that Jesus was with him. Paul wasn't one of the disciples that heard Jesus say, I will be with you. But yet Paul knew the Lord is near. Because he knew that Jesus made that statement. And his focus is rejoice. Because if we know that Jesus is with us, no matter what we face, we can rejoice. If we go to prison for sharing the gospel and we know, we neglect our feelings and we walk in the knowledge that Jesus is with us. And we put our hearts and our minds towards him. We can rejoice. Because what it comes down to is Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you. There are no conditions. There are no flaws. There are no exceptions. He's not making an example out of you. 
is with you and he loves you. And so whether you're going into, in the middle of, or coming out of the wilderness season, our response should be like Paul to rejoice. And there is so much power in that. First Corinthians eleven twenty six says For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the, right, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So today I would like to take a, a second, take a step back. The bread you have, the bread we have, we take a second back and we... We remember Jesus. We remember that Jesus is with us. We remember that Jesus has not forsaken us. He has not left us. He is with us. It is not conditional. Take the bread. Remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you think of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, oftentimes we pray for revival. But oftentimes we forget to get us, to get this church, to get this community prepared. To go from where we're at now to a season of revival, we're going to have to go through a wilderness season. And so I want to challenge you guys today to really let it hit home what it's going to mean for this church to go through a revival. And I want to ask you, are you willing to go through a wilderness season knowing the fruit that it could produce? Is this church ready to go through a wilderness season knowing how it could change this community? How it could change this region? How it could change this state? How it could change America? Like I said at the beginning of the service, there's not much worse than a church that's comfortable. So my prayer for this church, my prayer for myself, my prayer for my family, is that God would continue working on me. Continue growing me, continue challenging me, continue changing me. So that if revival broke out in Chi Alpha, 
as you remember, I'm the Chi Alpha pastor. If revival broke out in Chi Alpha, then my, can, my character could handle it. And in order for my character to be able to handle it, I'm going to have to go through the wilderness. And so it's so important for me. But as important as it is for me, it is just as important as it is for you. To make it through the wilderness season, to be able to embrace change, to be able to embrace growth, we have to get past our feelings. And we have to remember always that Jesus is with us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for being with us. We thank You for Your presence in here today. Lord, I hope that You would help us to remember that. Help us to embrace that. Help us to know that. Beyond what we feel. Lord, I pray that You would help us to to stop groveling and stop complaining. And help us to embrace the season that we're in. Help us to embrace growth. Help us to rejoice for the fact that You are near. Help us to always rejoice. Lord, I I ask that You would help us to grow and become who You would intend us and who You made us to be. And I do not mince words when I ask that You would strengthen us to handle what is coming. To handle these challenges, these opportunities, growth. Help us to handle that. And Lord, to help us be refined just as gold is refined. Lord, we give ourselves to you. This church gives ourselves to you. And so, Lord, going through that prayer, I pray And I hope that this body agrees with me. Knowing the risks, knowing the challenges, knowing what might come next. But Lord, that we could really mean when we say this and we pray this, Lord, we pray for revival. Knowing full well the cost. knowing full well the process that's going to have to take place to get us from where we're at to that point. Lord, I, I, and I hope we all can say this, that we embrace that. 
Because, Lord, it is for you. Revival is for you. It's not for us. So, Lord, help us to become who we need to be in order to make that happen. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen. And so today, as you guys leave, and as you guys pray this week, as you pray for this church, as you pray for Pastor Steve, as you pray for the community, I really want you to embrace and I want you to think about and I want you to contemplate and I want you to meditate on what it's going to cost and what it's going to take to get you. Not the church. Nobody else. Don't point fingers. Don't blame somebody else. Ask yourself what it will take for you to grow more like Christ. And I challenge you to embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be scared. Because you know Jesus is with you. Amen?